So welcome to episode number 78 of More Than Bread. I'm Dan, your host, Bible reader, and a pastor at Calvary Church in in Central PA. And in a recent episode, I asked you to remember a favorite meal. One of mine was with my grandma, little grandma. Today, I'd, I'd like you to just think of a favorite food. Imagine your best food, the food you would choose if you could choose it right now, favorite food. It might be something amazing that you would never eat every day, or it might be comfort food that you long for every moment. It might be dessert. For me, that would be Lynn's cinnamon rolls. She only makes them at Christmas time. Maybe it's pure comfort food like pizza. Best food ever. I had this steak once that was literally melt in your mouth amazing. What is it for you? Now imagine never, ever being able to eat that again. Now, take it a step further. Imagine being in a time of famine where you would settle for the least desirable food you could even imagine just to fill your gut and ease your pain. And now listen to these words from the Old Testament. Amos, Amos was a prophet, verses, uh, chapter 8, verses 11 through 13. He wrote, the time is surely coming. He's writing this from the perspective of God. The time is surely coming, says the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from border to border, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. Beautiful girls and strong young men will grow faint in that day, thirsting for the Lord's word. I kind of wonder if we don't find ourselves in one of those kinds of seasons in our country, in our life, in our culture now. And Amos is simply reminding us that life is more than bread. Sometimes we take the availability of God's words, God's voice for granted, just like we, well, like we take food for granted. But when it's taken away, not just the book, but the hearing of God's voice through the word of God by the spirit of God, our our souls begin to stagger, our hearts grow faint. I think one of the most important things you can do if you're If your heart is growing faint, if you don't feel that fire is to get into his word, not just to read it, not just to study it, but to listen for his voice. And I'm praying that God will give us a hunger for his word in these days. In this episode of More Than Bread, we're diving into the Gospel of Mark. In the last episode, we started in on Mark chapter 3, looking at the journey from foe of Christ, enemy of Christ, to fan to family, foe to fan to family. So listen in again as I read Mark chapter 3. I'll read the whole chapter again from the New Living Translation. Listen to the word of God. Jesus went into the synagogue again, and he noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they would not answer him. He looked at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Now, my words, I think it's so important to to, to get this sense of who Jesus is. He He was angry in the moment because of how they were acting, what they were doing, but he was also deeply saddened. He loved people. He was deeply saddened by the hardness of their their hearts because he knew that it was going to keep them from thriving. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. 
So the man held out his hand and it was restored. Verse 6, at once the Pharisees, these are the foes of Jesus at that time, went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from east of the Jordan, even as far north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And and whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, you are the son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and he called out the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. And then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. Now, I remember the crowds following Jesus, <laughs> they have a need. The, the enemies, they want control. The crowds have a need. And now we're talking about family, those who are with Jesus. Verse 14, then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. And, and that word uh, apostle, it just simply means a sent one. These are people that he's going to sent send out. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach. Verse 15, giving them authority to cast out demons. These are the 12 he chose. You know some of these names. Simon, whom he called, named Peter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Th- Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. One time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said he's possessed by Satan. Prince of demons, that's where he gets the power to cast out demons. Jesus called them over and responded with an illustration. How can Satan cast out Satan, he asked. A kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is divided and fights against himself, how can he stand? He would never survive. Let let me illustrate this further, Jesus said. Who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. Now, in my words, let me just take a moment. That, that's, a, that's an issue. That's an idea that, that I've seen people struggle with oftentimes before, the unforgivable sin. I, I've had many people come to me and say, Dan, I, I'm concerned that I've, I've committed the unforgivable sin. And and I believe the unforgivable sin, when it talks about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, this is not just a one-time event. This is an ongoing lifestyle of rejecting God, of rejecting the Spirit of God. If you are at a point where you're willing to ask for forgiveness, you have not committed the unforgivable sin. Hear me? Let me say that again. If you are at a point of asking God for forgiveness for your for your you're turning away from him for your sin. You have not committed the unforgivable sin. 
Verse 30, he told them this because they were saying, he, Jesus, is possessed by an evil spirit. Verse 31, then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, who is my mother? <laughs> who are my brothers? Then he looked around at those near him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, in the last episode, we talked about the journey from foe to fan. The foe issue is control. The fan issue is need. Fans are consumers. Foes are enemies. Now we look at the journey from fan to family. So Jesus goes on a retreat and he invites a few friends to go with him. They're in the middle of the chapter. He chose 12 of them, called them apostles, which means sent one, and, and he made them part of his team. And, and like I said in the last episode, this isn't just a backstage pass for an excited fan. This is a calling to be with him. Jesus is calling you to be with him. He's not just calling you to go to church. He's not just calling you to give him some time on Sunday morning. He, he's calling you to be with him. And, and then in verse 20, we see this really interesting scene. Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather. Soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. And when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. Mary, the mother of Jesus, his brothers said, he's out of his mind. Then you go to verse 31, and we see that Jesus' mother and brothers come to see him. They, they stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with him. There's there's this huge crowd around, huge crowd around Jesus. They can't get to him. And someone said, you're... Hey, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he looked around at those around him and said, look, you, you all, anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. This is one of Mary's hallmark moments with Jesus, right? I mean, they're coming to talk some sense into him or drag him home, but they couldn't get in because of the huge crowds. So someone says, hey, Jesus, your mom's outside. Your brothers are outside. They want to see you. And what does Jesus say? Who's my mother? <laughs> You don't find that on many Hallmark Mother's Day cards. But then Jesus basically gives a new definition of family. He said, my family is made up of those who hear the word of God, hear the voice of God and do it. There's those who respond to the scripture, to the Bible. There's a family that's bonded together by their response to God. I wonder how Mary felt when she heard those words. She'll feel different in the future, but in this moment, they had to have been hard words to hear. The, the son to whom you gave birth has just said that he has different loyalties, a different model, a paradigm of family. But as hard as it was for her, listen to me, this is such good news for us. John Ortberg writes, he was announcing something wonderful and strange and subversive and disruptive and utterly new that because God loves to love and because he always wanted a family and it got disrupted by sin, God is starting a family once again in Jesus. It's radically inclusive and anybody can be a part. You can be a part. This was one of the hallmarks of the early church. They started calling each other brother and sister. <laughs> People were amazed by this community where anybody could become a member be treated like family. And, and that was God's plan for the church. It, it still is. It's his plan for us that, that we would be family with our DNA set by our response to God's word. So if we want the favor of God, we need to lean into the word of God. We need to do his will. Lean in. You, you've heard me use that word before. Listen, learn, and lean. Lean in. Surrender. 
<laughs> Listen, it, it's better to be a follower of Christ than it is to be the mother of God. There's a greater blessing and even higher calling. There's a family to be part of that stretches farther than you can see and a father who loves you so deeply. I think sometimes it's those of us who have grown up close to Jesus who have the most trouble giving him control. See, the, the family issue is surrender. It kind of goes back full circle. In, in a sense, being a, a consumer, being in need is, is just a transition between one point or the other. You're either, ultimately, you're either a fan or, or f- you're either a foe or your family. I mean, that's the heart of this episode. In fact, in so many ways, it's the heart of the whole More Than Bread podcast, surrender. It's not just about listening to the word. It's not just about learning theology, a biblical worldview. It's about leaning in. It's about surrender. Have you surrendered to Jesus? I mean, totally surrendered. Decided that you will live by his agenda, do his will. I, I, I tell you, without one shred of hesitation, you will not thrive. We will not thrive I won't thrive without surrender. I can think of few things more important than surrender. Every major move of God in my life has been preceded by a significant moment of surrender. I remember the first church where I was pastor, Grove City, Minnesota. Church was about 75. Salary was about $15,000. It was a small things kind of beginning, but it was okay. God was teaching me about being faithful. The church grew, doubled in about four years. We had almost half the people in town coming to our church. I started thinking I was a pretty big deal. (laughs) Destined for great things, going to leave a mark. We went to our annual meeting at Estes Park, Colorado, and the first day of the conference was a day of prayer. Seven different pastors got up and preached and then led us in a time of prayer. And I, I remember getting a little bit agitated at some point during the day. I started thinking, I wonder who in the world chooses the speakers for these things because I'm pretty sure I could do a better job than them. And God just kind of let those thoughts roll around in my head for about a half an hour. Let them get real good and juicy. And and then he gave me the two by four of conviction right up alongside the head. He said, Dan, why are you doing this? Why do you want to be a pastor? Is it all about you or is it all about me? I remember thinking, well, God, can't it be a little bit of both? (laughs) at least a little bit about me. But God wouldn't let go until finally it hurt my heart too much. I said, God, it's not about me. It's about you. (laughs) And if you want me to be a pastor in a little church in the middle of nowhere for the rest of my life, I'll do it with a glad heart. I got home from that conference and there was a letter waiting from a church in State College, Pennsylvania, wanting to know if I would like to be their pastor. And since then, this need to surrender has not stopped, and and I still wrestle with it. How about you? Going from foe to fan to family. Sometimes our hearts and our hands are, are so full of ourselves, full of our resources, full of our rights, full of our way, full of our needs, full of our opinions, full of our relationships. But what if our so-called lives are so full of the accumulation of all our stuff that there's no room for the incredible fullness of life that God wants to give us. What do you need to let go of? What do you need to surrender? An attitude, a person, a possession, a choice, a dream. See, this is the family mark, surrender. Let me make this as as clear as I can. Surrender starts when we say, I am not God. (laughs) In fact, I want to give everyone listening an opportunity to start with at least that much. So let's do a little not God liturgy. 
Just whisper this to yourself, or, or if you're by yourself, yell it. It's probably good to yell it to the heavens, but be careful if you're in a crowd. People might look at you with, with a deep curiosity, but just say this. My name is, I'll say Dan Nold. You fill in your name, okay? My name is Dan Nold, and I'm not God. You say that? My name is, and I'm not God. I'm not God. Someone near you right now is shaking their head in agreement. I'm I'm not God. Now go out and live that way. Live like you are not God. Accept the fact that you are not God. You know, some of the most humble-seeming folks among us are trying to live like God. You know, all humble and vulnerable on the Clark Kent exterior, but on the inside, we want to be like Superman. He helped others who were weak and needy, but he was never afraid, never needed help, lost his biological parents, abandoned as an infant, had to live a life of deception, never got the credit he deserved, was always alone, and even though he wore blue tights under his pants, he never had to go to therapy. I can't tell you how many times in my life God has brought me face to face with my own Superman little God syndrome. You are not God. I'm not God, but there is a God, and he's in charge. And it's not enough to admit that you are not God. If we want to be family, we need to decide, I will listen for God's words. I will respond. I'll listen and and learn and I'll lean in. You know, listening is not our natural preference. Most of us would rather be speaking than listening. I just wonder how often it's the same with God. He's speaking, but we're so distracted We're so distracted by the noise, by social media, or or maybe just more concerned with talking, telling God how we want him to do something for us, when, when what he wants to do is speak something to us. I mean, what of the Bible really is God speaking now? Well, what would it look like in my life if I am listening attentively to the word of God? The goal is to become like Jesus, to live life with Jesus' heart. There's so many points in Scripture where the pathway is described as not only hearing but doing, not only hearing but doing, not only listening and learning, but leaning in, responding. And so over and over again, I keep asking myself the question, what is the texture of a heart that listens and responds? What is the texture of a heart that receives the Word of God deep inside to leave an uncommonly glorious mark on the world? And over and over and over again, I keep coming back to words like surrender, give in, give over, give up, listen, and lean. So so do something for me and with me. I'm going to do the same thing in my recording studio, which really is just my office. Imagine back to that point when you were a kid playing cops and robbers. <laughs> I know maybe you don't even do that anymore. It's not it's not uh it's not culturally correct. But but you you know what I'm talking about. Playing cops and robbers and somebody with a gun pointed at you, maybe they were a cop, maybe they they were the robber and they said stick them up. Go ahead, where you're at, stick them up unless you're driving and just pretend. And when you stuck them up, what did that mean? It means I surrender. I give up. You can have all my good stuff. You win. You can let your arms down. You know, some of you listening right now more than anything, we just need to get in front of God and stick them up. We need to surrender and give up and and tell him that he can have all the stuff that I thought was good stuff. Some of us today need to get in front of God and say, you win. (laughs) You're God and I'm not. But it doesn't stop there. When we surrender, we become part of the family. We become recipients of the unimaginable love of Jesus. We receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. We start a journey of intimacy with the God of the universe. So let me just read again from the paraphrase, the message, just that last part of Mark chapter 3. 
again, the family scene and, uh, and then pray for you. Starting in verse 20, Jesus came home and as usual, a crowd gathered, so many making demands on him that there wasn't even time to eat. His friends heard what was going on and went to rescue him by force if necessary. They suspected he was believing his own press. The religion scholars from Jerusalem came down spreading rumors that he was working black magic, using devil tricks to impress them with spiritual power. Jesus confronted their slander with a story. Does it make sense to send a devil to catch a devil, to use Satan to get rid of Satan? And then down to verse 28. Listen, he said to this carefully, I'm warning you. There's nothing done or said that can't be forgiven. But if you persist in your slanders against God's Holy Spirit, you're repudiating the very one who forgives, sawing off the branch in which you're sitting, severing by your own perversity all connection with the one who forgives. And then verse 31, just then, Jesus, mother and brother showed up and standing outside, they relayed a message that they wanted a word with him. He was surrounded by the crowd when he was given the message, your mother and brothers and sisters are outside looking for you. Jesus responded, who do you think are my mother and brothers? Looking around, taking in everyone seated around him, he said, right here, right in front of you, my mother and my brothers, obedience is thicker than blood. The person who obeys God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Father, I pray for each and every person listening. If there's something that needs to be surrendered, would we get our hands up in front of you and say, God, you win. (laughs) I surrender. I give up. And God, I pray that as we surrender, that you would just let our hearts overflow with this very real sense, with the presence of the Spirit of God, the reminder that we're part of your family. That when we surrender, we, we, we live like your family. We, we experience what it is to have you as our Father. Pray for each and every person listening, that they would surrender, that they would become part of the family of God, that they would know you as Father, and that they w- their hearts would be saturated with the unimaginable love of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.